things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> Who should be the Republican nominee for the presidency of the United States? You have your thoughts. I have mine. Stephen A. Smith Show. Now. Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you. I usually love coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, Friday live on my YouTube channel, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. But this is a special edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show airing this uh, to you on this Tuesday. Why do I have a show on a Tuesday? I'll tell you in a minute. First thing I want to do is, again, as always, thanks my studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith show. Um, and to make sure, you know, I you know, I appreciate all the love and everything that y'all are giving me. Make sure you click on my name right there to subscribe to the channel, to subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith show. Make sure to click the bell to get notified of all our new content. That's what I want you to do. Click that bell and you'll see. That's how it goes. It's been growing and growing and growing. Thanks to y'all's support and love. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. I pray that you will keep it coming. You keep it coming. I'll keep on coming on. All right. It's just that simple. Today's show is a special show because one of the things that I want to do on the Stephen A. Smith show is to talk to folks who are striving to matter. And obviously, when it comes to an impending election, Scheduled for 2024, we're going to, you know, have a presidential election on a Democratic side. In all likelihood, it will be President Joe Biden, who will be 82 at that particular moment in time, running against uh, who knows. The presumptive favorite at the moment is Donald Trump, um, but he's been indicted on 37 Counts. Lord knows what. Um, actually, I do know what they are. I've articulated them on many occasions. You all know what it is. No need to revisit that at this particular moment. Uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is trailing Trump by a considerable margin. But nevertheless, he's considerably above the likes of Tim Scott, uh, Nikki Haley, um, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, along with a few others, particularly the person that I'm about to introduce person I'm about to introduce is somebody that I've known for a few years. Um, he is the former governor of a state that I live in. Uh, he was a two-term governor, very, very popular government governor, uh, his first term, um, and pretty much halfway through his second term until controversy hit. And as a result, it ultimately cost him the presidential nomination in some people's eyes anyway, back in 2016. Well, it is now the year 2024. 
I'm sorry, 2023, and he'll be running for the presidency of the United States. His name is Chris Christie, and he's with us right now. I look forward to talking to him. I actually interviewed him a little bit earlier, and I wanted to share this interview as I sit down and talk with the former governor of the state of New Jersey and a presidential candidate for the Republican Party, Mr. Chris Christie. And Stephen A. Smith. Here you go. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor and privilege to have my next guest. And in the interest of full disclosure, is a couple of things that I have to mention. Yes, he's the former two-term governor of the state of New Jersey. He also happens to be the only Republican I've ever voted for in my life. So let's me get that out the way. And over the last several years, we've become friends. He's a huge sports fan. I don't under, I, I, I'm shocked to say that because he actually loves the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, he loves Jerry Jones. And so he loves the Cowboys. I can't believe that I'm I, I'm friends with somebody that loves the Cowboys, but the hell with it. He is a presidential candidate right now running for the presidency of the United States yet again, uh, looking to get into the mix. He is the one, the only. Governor Chris Christie is here with yours truly on the Stephen A. Smith Show. What's up, sir? How are you? How's everything? Things are great, Stephen A. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, certainly. And I appreciate you uh, making time. Thank you so much. So you want to be president. Looking at this field that is out here, why should folks out here choose Chris Christie as the next president of the United States? Because, you know, Stephen, I think the biggest frustration that folks in this country have right now about politics is that things don't get done. Nothing that seems to be working for the people gets done. And the thing that I learned as governor of New Jersey for two terms, working every day with a Democratic legislature for eight years, is that you can either be a show pony or you can be a workhorse. And if you're a workhorse, you work hard, you try to bring people together. And I did that in New Jersey on a whole bunch of really tough issues, whether it was pension reform, reforming the public pension system, whether it was uh, reforming our educational system, giving more charter schools, yep. more choice for parents, all of those things. Bail reform. Get things done. Yeah, bail reform. I remember reading about that as well, along with various yeah. other things. And of course, you know, hurricane relief. Uh, you know, you took a lot of hits when you were talking and working with then President Obama to make sure you got relief to the state of New Jersey, along with various other things right now. But I asked those questions because as we sit here today, um, you're pretty low in the polls. At least that's what the numbers are saying right now. You had about 2.6%, if I remember correctly. Maybe it's a little bit higher than that. How do you feel about where you are? How optimistic are you that you're going to be able to get into the fray and to be on that debate stage in August um, when the Republicans are debating one another for the Republican nomination? I will be on that debate stage, Stephen A., um, when we get to August 23rd. I have no doubt about that. We are very close to reaching now the, the the donor level that you need to be able at 40,000 donors to qualify for the stage. And in some national polls, we're at 2%, at some we're at four. Um, there's one where we're at six. So we're kind of all over the lot, but still in single digits. And I think that's when the campaign really begins is when those debates happen. I don't think anybody in America is focusing all that much on the presidential campaign in the middle of summer right now. I think when August comes, that first debate happens on Fox News on August 23rd. Um, you know, people are going to be watching and paying attention. And that's when I'm going to start to make it. 
Governor Christie, I got to admit to you, I'm a bit concerned from this perspective. Uh, you did have a history and a reputation for working uh, across the aisle because obviously uh, you had the Democrats pretty, pretty much controlling, uh, you know, the, the not the government, but the, the House and the Senate in the state of New Jersey. And obviously you were the governor for those eight years. But you have a reputation of extending yourself across the aisle and getting things done. That doesn't seem to be the world that we're living in. The world that we seem to be living in right now is that people want politicians who appear to be truculent, who don't want to compromise, who don't want to be about getting anything done unless it's everything that they want done. How are you going to maneuver your way through that minefield, knowing that you've got a guy like Trump? You know what his history is. You know him better than practically anybody on that stage. Your friendship spanned a couple of decades before you guys were on the outs with one another. We've got Ron DeSantis, some would argue, as the governor of Florida mimicking Trump at every turn with some of the positions that he's willing to take. You've gone, you veered left and away from that to some degree. How do you believe you're going to break through considering what the constituency out there for the right appears to be requiring from their political candidates? Well, I think two things, Stephen. First off, I think that's what people are tired of. Even most Republicans are tired of that. Um, I'd say 65, 70% of Republicans either don't want to vote for Donald Trump under any circumstances or are willing to consider an alternative to Donald Trump. So those are the people you need to talk to, and they're the ones who want something to get done. So I think that's part of the appeal. I think also, when you look at the things that I did accomplish in New Jersey that we fought for, there's a lot of things that are part of the conservative message there. The pension reform, um, budget cutting, and making sure that we balance the budget every year. We didn't raise taxes in New Jersey. Um, we got rid of the estate tax in New Jersey so that people could grow into their old age, not have to worry about moving out of state because they're going to pay an enormous estate tax. Um, you know, we we brought public safety to the city of Camden uh, by firing the entire Camden Police Department because they were failing. We brought in a whole new police force, trained them in violence de-escalation, trained them in community policing. And what happens in the last 10 years since we did that? Murder rate in Camden is down 75%. And so... You know, these are also not only good things for the country, uh, as they were good for New Jersey, but these are things also that fit the conservative agenda. And so I, I think you can you can have your cake and eat it, too, on this. There are going to be times you have to compromise with the other side. But guess what? They were elected, too. Mm. But it sounds like you've got a lot of faith in that constituency. And that's and, and that's different from what a lot of people are saying when they see the climate that exists out there with the average person calling in a talk radio show, the average pundits out there who talk about you. I mean, you you recently you and I were just uh, briefly talking about this weeks ago. You saw me on Sean Hannity and Sean Hannity literally came out of his mouth and said he didn't consider you a conservative. And I'm saying what? <laughs> I mean, this is and, and, and there is no doubt that there are people that are echoing those sentiments. And so when you see Trump having his supporters, when you see DeSantis having some supporters, when you see the media at large looking at the two front runners and sort of leaning on them and allowing others to label you as somebody who's not nearly as conservative as you may pretend to be with a lot of Republican voters out there. How do you how do you combat that? You do it two ways. You go right into the belly of the beast. So I've been doing things like the Travis and Buck radio show, Eric Erickson, um, been on Fox News on, you know, just about every one of the shows um, on Fox News, with the exception of Sean's right now. Right. Um, I'm going to go and do all of that stuff because what you want is to be able to have people see you and hear from you directly. And that's what the kind of campaign that we're, we're running and that we're going to run. And 
I think that's why we've gone from absolutely nowhere in the polls to third place in New Hampshire right now. Um, and we're going to continue to move up and do well. But you got to do it by actually letting people see you and hear from you and, and to be transparent about it. Uh, I, I am who I am. My history is what it is. And I'm not the perfect candidate in any respect. But let me clue you in on something. There are no perfect candidates. And so you got to look for someone who actually knows how to get the job done and will represent you in the way that you want to be represented. And I always did that in New Jersey, and that's what I do as president. Are you confident that folks can be worked with across the aisle in this day and age, considering the climate that we're living in? I know I talked about folks on the right, but there are folks on the left that are a bit extreme that a lot of people have really, really been turned off about because they've labeled it the quote unquote woke culture, considering the times that we live in with some really fiery individuals that are dogged about their beliefs and not being able to budge or compromise any more than ones are asking the right to do. Do you feel that folks on the left can be reached? Uh, sure I do. And look, there are going to be some who can't, Stephen. Now, the same way there'll be some on the right who can't be reached. But what you want to do is to grab those people who are willing to listen. And I do believe there are people inside the Democratic Party who want to solve problems and are willing to listen. That's the job of the president. The job of the president is to use the bully pulpit of the presidency, to use your own powers of persuasion, to be able to work with people um, to get to a good result that that if not everybody's going to be thrilled with, people are going to be satisfied with represents progress. In New Jersey, I used to call it putting touchdowns in the end zone, mm. Steve. A. You know, you, you, you're not going to always run the exact perfect play. It's not going to always be pretty. But if the ball winds up in the end zone, six points go up on the scoreboard. And we should be back in government again about putting points up on the scoreboard for the people in this country who are working hard every day and paying the taxes. Let's get back to some of the conservative, because obviously you're conservative. You're unapologetic about it. Very, very proud of it, even though you pride yourself in being able to work on both sides of the aisle. As governor, you stated you were the first pro-life governor in New Jersey, if I remember correctly. You said that about yourself, obviously, since Roe v. Wade in 1973. OK, what were your thoughts when the Supreme Court made its ruling last year about Roe v. Wade? What was your initial reaction? I think they made the right decision. You know, for 50 years, we've been saying that there's not a constitutional right to an abortion, that it's not in the Constitution, that this should be decided in each and every state by the people and the legislatures of those states. And so I think they made the right decision to turn that back to the states. And what we're seeing now, Stephen, is different kind of conclusions about abortion in states all over the country. So, for instance, in Oklahoma, they do not allow abortion unless the life of the mother is at risk. But in New Jersey, they allow uh, abortion up to ninth month of pregnancy. This is what decisions, the way decisions are were supposed to be made when the founders laid out the Constitution. That if the particular issue was not in the Constitution, the states should decide. And let's see what kind of consensus the states all come to when all 50 states weigh in. And maybe then we can get a national consensus. But we don't have it now. And people should be able to make this choice in each one of their individual states. So I thought it was a good decision by the Supreme Court. And I think what you've seen now is a lot of different results around the country. And I think that reflects how divided the American people are on this issue. What about a uh, what about women out there who believe that a man shouldn't have a say in what a woman gets to do with their body? How does a political candidate answer a question like that? Because I don't well, know. Look, Stephen, I, the way I would say it is, we make laws all the time about what we can or can't do with our body, uh, men and women. Um, and, and the fact is that you, you can't use your body to go and kill somebody. 
in the middle of Fifth Avenue um, with your bare hands mm -hmm. and say, well, this is what I've decided I want to use my body for, and therefore I should be allowed to do it. Well, no, there are laws against that. Um, and we could go through any number of examples. That's the most extreme one. But the fact is that these are very important stakes, right? Look, here's what I believe. I was raised a Catholic, and I believe that every life is an individual gift from God, that it's a precious gift. And in my family, Stephen, my youngest sister is adopted. Mm -hmm. And she was born in 1971 to a teenage mom. If that had been 1973, I have no doubt in my mind that my sister would have been aborted. Mm -hmm. So this is personal to me, too. Um, they are real lives. And here's my sister now, happily married, five beautiful children. And that whole life would have never happened otherwise. And so there are big stakes involved here. On the other side, look, I, I have to absolute of respect for people who feel differently on this issue. And if you do, go out there in your state and fight to try to get the law where you want it to be. That's what a democracy is all about. The LGBTQ community, no doubt, would probably uh, not forget the fact that you oppose same-sex marriage, although you voiced your support for state civil unions. Uh, explain that in this day and age and how you think that would go over with their community uh, if you were looking for their vote, assuming you would be looking for their vote, obviously. Sure. And I'm looking for everybody's vote. So <laughs> here's here's what I say to, to, to that community is that's that was truly my belief back in the early 2010s, um, was that for 2,000 years, marriage had been between one man and one woman. And what I said at the time, Stephen, was that I didn't think that the legislature should make that decision if we were going to so fundamentally change an institution that had been in existence for 2,000 years, that we should put it up for a vote by the people and let them decide. In the end, our Supreme Court in New Jersey decided that same-sex marriage was a right under the Constitution. And what I said at that time was that while I disagreed with it, um, I, my job was to enforce the law. Now that that was the law of the state, I would enforce it and make sure that it was enforced in every corner of New Jersey. I feel the same way now. The United States Supreme Court has weighed in on this issue. They've said it's a national civil right for folks to, uh, to engage in same-sex marriage, if that's their choice. And as president of the United States, it would be my job to enforce that law because that's the law of the land. Is that applicable to folks who consider themselves binary and they say they were born a man, but they're really a woman and they want to, in, 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 you know, alter or, or change their sex, uh, or, you know, from a physical standpoint or whatever? I don't know, um, to, to be quite honest with you, how better to word that question. But to add, other than to ask you, you know, is that applicable? Everything that you just said, is it applicable to those folks as well? Because I think times now it's a bit more open and we're finding ourselves challenged with a lot of things that are being thrown out there that wasn't around a, a few years ago. Sure. Um, you know, it may have been around, but it wasn't out in the open like it is now. Right. Talking about it That's openly, what I mean. Right. And so so what, what I would say is, look, the, the big argument right now is about minors. And, and, and my view is that we should leave these things to a decision by the parents and the child. You know, look, you you know this. You can't give your child an Advil at school without getting a parent's permission. Um, I believe that parents need to be involved in every one of these decisions, and they have to be the central part of decision-making for their children. I don't believe the government should be getting in the middle of that when it involves children. Mm -hmm. And so to me, um, parents should be the people who are empowered. We want parents to be involved in picking what schools their kids go to. We want parents 
involved in talking to kids about drugs and other issues. We want parents involved in all those things. We should have parents being the decision makers on this for children who are under the age of 18. Your thoughts on the Supreme Court's real uh, recent ruling uh, omitting race or eradicating race as a consideration for qualifications when it comes to admissions into institutions of higher learning. Your thoughts about that decision that just came down a little over a week ago. Well, I, I read the decision very carefully, Stephen, and I'll tell you, what I think is that I think people are making more of the decision than what it really said. I do think that they're now saying affirmative action as we have known it over the course of time um, cannot be a determining factor in, in someone's admission or lack of admission to an institution. But I think what they also said was that every element of that person's life experience can be taken into account by the university um, when they're deciding about whether to offer admission to someone or not. And so I think that, you know, everyone has to have each part of their life experience considered, where you've come from, what your upbringing is, and, and that obviously involves race and ethnicity and gender. Um, so those are all factors that can be considered. I think now what the law is saying, though, is that you can't give someone an advantage purely for that reason, but certainly it can be a factor that people consider in the overall admissions decision. I think that's the right way to go. Um, I think you saw in that case brought by a lot of Asian Americans that they showed statistics about how they were being hurt mm -hmm. um, by these programs. And, and I don't think we should have an admissions policy that hurts anyone. Mm -hmm. I think everyone should be judged based on their merits, how they achieved in high school, how they achieved in college. But you're obviously going to take in consideration where that young man or woman comes from mm -hmm. and what kind of education they were offered. Mm. And we know that's different in our urban areas and in some of our suburban areas and in our rural areas. And so those things still are going to have to be taken into consideration. As a black man in this country, I would say this to you before I move on. I, my thinking when it first came down, I have no problem. My attitude is this. You don't fight discrimination with discrimination. And I totally get that. And I understand that. My issue was, is that you have somebody from the Asian American community, somebody from the Latino community, and they think that they're being ostracized or they think that they're, you know, it, it's get the, the odds are stacked against them and unfairly. So that would be one thing. But we had a lot of people, particularly in white America, that was of the mindset that they were victimized as well. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Well, why was, was affirmative action instituted to begin with? Because there was prejudice that was being exacted against my minority communities in this in, in this country. Am I wrong for feeling that way? Is anybody from the black community or the Latino community or the Asian American community wrong for feeling that way in your estimation? No, look, I think that's where it evolved from, right, Stephen? And so, but now I think that we've seen so much progress over that time that I think your initial statement is the right one, that you don't fix discrimination with discrimination. And so we're in a much different spot than we were in the 1950s. Um, the 1940s, when our society was segregated, when baseball was segregated, um, when uh, the military was segregated. Mm -hmm. um, we're in a much different place in America now. It does not mean by saying that, that we have solved every problem and everything is equal and equitable and fair. It is not. But I will tell you this, it's a hell of a lot better um, than it existed 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think we should be striving for what Dr. King said, which is people to be judged um, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And if that's where this drives our policy in this country, then it will have been a good thing. 
This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Former two-term governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, presidential candidate Chris Christie is right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Let me transition to a subject that I- I'm sure you've had to talk about it ad nauseum. Sometimes it's irritating. Sometimes it's fun. I mean, because it gives you an opportunity to get back because I know you're not scared of a fight at any particular moment. It's about former President Donald Trump. Um, you know, th- 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 this, <laughs> this past <laughs> Tuesday, Trump pull, put out a digitally altered video of you, which included a background of trays of food as well as a plate in your hand, in essence, to mock your weight. We know what he's talked about as it pertains to you. I mean, he blasted your speech launching your 2024 campaign. How many times did Chris Christie use the word small, blah, blah, blah? You know what he done. And we've seen your response on CNN when you were talking to Jake Tapper. But as you have to have time over the last several weeks specifically to reflect on his personal attacks against you. Tell me what comes to mind. He's a child. I mean, this is the kind of stuff, Stephen A., that happens in the schoolyard. You know, you're making fun of people in elementary school uh, for the guy or the woman who's who's overweight. Uh, let me tell you, say this. As you know, there are tens of millions of Americans out there who struggle each and every day with their weight. And I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And I've been on all kinds of diets. I've had surgery. And I've done much better than I did when I was governor. You know, I I lost a lot of weight um, when I was governor um, and I've kept most of that weight off, but I still have a lot more to go. Um, And so, you know, I just look at him and think, what a child, how small he is um, to be doing things like that. And by the way, as I suggested, Stephen, maybe he should look in the mirror uh, because this guy ain't Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, (laughs) Um, you know, I've seen some of those pictures of him golfing. Um, he doesn't look like, uh, like a Greek god to me. So, you know, the old people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones uh, probably applies to him, too. But in the end, what he's doing is he's, ins- you know, he's not insulting me because I don't care about his opinion. But what he is doing by doing that is making other Americans who are suffering from this feel even more self-conscious than they do already. I will tell you, I think it's one of the last areas um, of physical discrimination that's acceptable. Mm. socially acceptable in this country. Nobody gets called out for calling somebody fat, Stephen. Mm. You know, you make fun of someone in the LGBTQ community, you hear about it, right? You get canceled. You 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 do something like that and discriminate and, and, and criticize someone because of their race mm-hmm. or their creed mm-hmm. or their ethnicity, well, you get canceled right away or their gender. But you call somebody fat. And that, of course, that's not a problem. I, I think it's wrong. I think most people who are overweight don't want to be overweight mm-hmm. and they're working to try to change their circumstance. So it shows again what a small person Donald Trump is and why he has no business being president of the United he, States again. But we he, don't need anything like that. But here's the problem, Governor. Everything that you said, I think, is right and applicable to most people, but not him. He's insulted a myriad of people. He's been uh, uh, accused, uh, accused of being discriminatory. He's we've we've we found his behavior on many occasions, vi- uh, many occasions vile. His remarks unprofessional, et cetera, et cetera. Certainly not worthy of being a commander in chief of this country. But nevertheless, he's getting folks supporting him. These are the kind of voters 
that you need to go through, some would argue, if you're going to get that Republican nomination. So, my goodness, considering that and considering what you described him as and the fact that they've got the he's got these people voting for him. I mean, what what does that say about what you're going to be able to do to get those folks to veer away from that? And that's the kind of votes that you're seeking, at least for the at least for the Republican nomination. Well, it's a good question, Stephen. And I think the way to do it is just to do it like I just did. Go directly at it. Don't try to be cute about it. Don't try to be clever. Ask them that question. If you had a child or a grandchild who was overweight, would you want Donald Trump saying those things about them? What about you yourself? Is this the kind of character we want sitting behind the desk in the Oval Office? You know, inside the party, Stephen, no one's ever gone at him. Mm. You know, Democrats have gone at him, mm. but Republicans have never gone at him. How would you go at them? How would you go after him? Oh, look, you know, we go into every one of these things. How about the fact that he's a three-time loser? That this is a guy, since he won in 2016, he lost the midterms in 2018. He lost the House of Representatives. In 2020, he lost the White House and the United States Senate. And in 2022, we lost uh, two more governorships and another Senate seat and barely won it. This guy is nothing but a three-time loser. And why the hell would you want to hire a three-time loser to be the person in charge of your party again? Makes no sense. How about the fact that he promised to appeal, repeal and replace Obamacare? He had a Republican Congress. He couldn't get it done. How about he said he was going to balance the budget in four years? He left with the biggest deficit of any president in American history. How about he said he was going to retire the national debt in eight years? He added eight trillion to the national debt in his four years. How about he said he was going to build a wall across the entire border of Mexico in his first term and Mexico was going to pay for it? Well, when he was got out of there, we had about a quarter of a wall and we hadn't gotten the first peso from Mexico uh, for the wall, nor will we ever get one. This is a guy who also was an unsuccessful president, didn't keep his promises, didn't keep his word. And lastly, this is the first presidential candidate ever to be under indictment actively in two different jurisdictions. One of them putting national security secrets at risk and lying about it. This is not the kind of person that you would look at and say, hey, he'd be a good president. So I got more, as you might imagine, but we'll be coming at him from every angle and every one of those angles he's earned. You got uh, you're talking about the files that he took from the White House to Mar-a-Lago that obviously he's been indicted for. Of course, we got a situation in Georgia where, you know what, uh, he he tried to get eleven thousand seven hundred votes. We got that coming down the pike. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But obviously, Governor, some people will look at you and say this was your guy. This was your friend. This was somebody you supported. This was somebody you endorsed once you backed out of the uh, the presidential race in 2016. And now it's gotten it's come full circle to this point. What's the defining moment that changed everything for you where he was concerned? Just for everybody to know. Election night 2020, Stephen, when he came out into the East Room of the White House, behind the seal of the president, and told the American people that the election had been stolen from him when he had absolutely no evidence to prove it. And to this day now, two and a half years later, there's still no evidence to prove it was stolen because it wasn't. And he said it that night just to assuage his own ego because he couldn't bear the fact that he's the only person outside the state of Delaware to ever lose to Joe Biden in a general election. And he didn't want to believe he had lost. And so he perpetuated this lie to the American people. And what it's done to 
a share of the American public in, in the Republican Party, maybe as much of, as 15 or 20 percent of our party actually believes that lie. And it undercuts our democracy and gives people a lack of faith in the idea that their vote counts. And that is the worst thing that you could ever have a president do. And when he did that, I was on the air at ABC um, at 2.30 a.m. on elected the morning after the election. And I went after him then. And uh, we, we, had, we broke that night and we haven't been friends since. Governor Christie, the Republican National Committee is telling candidates, if you do not win the nomination, you must pledge to support the primary winner, even if that winner is Donald Trump and he is convicted of a felony. Now, I think that is utterly absurd. You're basically saying, excuse me, the president of the United States could be able to run the, sh- the country from prison instead of the White House. That's essentially what the hell you're saying, okay? And I mean, I- I've seen politicians try to spit in folks' face and say it's raining, liter- uh, you know, figuratively speaking, of course. I mean, but that tips the, that tips the cake. I mean, what are we supposed to make of the, of the RNC asking folks like yourself, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, others to make Deron DeSantis, others to make this pledge. What are we supposed to make of that? It's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. And by the way, we never do it as a Republican Party before Donald Trump showed up. We never had any pledge before 2016. And in 2016, by the way, we had a pledge. We all had to sign a pledge. Mm-hmm. And we all did until except for Donald Trump. Then ultimately he signed it because Reince Priebus, uh, the chairman of the Republican Party at that time, went and asked him pretty please, will he sign it? So he did. And then at the very next debate, we were asked to reaffirm it by raising our hands. And nine of us raised our hands and one didn't. It was Donald Trump. Mm. And he said, yeah, I know I signed it, but I, I you know, I, I don't know. I'll have to see who wins um, because I'm not going to commit to that now. So if the RNC is going to insist on this now, here's my answer. My answer is I'll take the pledge just as seriously as Donald Trump did in 2016. Let's get on with the debate. Wow. Just a couple more questions before I let you get on out of here, Governor. And thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm thinking about I'd be remiss in neglecting to bring this up. Your two time governor, 2010 to 2018, you began your tenure with an approval rating nearly nearly at nearly 50 percent. One reelection in 2014 with an approval rating of 65 percent. But obviously it dipped precipitously in 2017. 15 percent approval rating, 81 percent disapproval, obviously in the aftermath of the George Washington Bridge closure scheme. And of course, photographed at the beach during a budget shutdown and closure of government buildings. I bring that up for this one reason, because I know you've answered that question a thousand times, but I'll ask this. If that doesn't happen based on the job you felt and you highlighted that you did in the state of New Jersey. Would Donald Trump had ever been president of the United States in your mind? Would he have won? I don't think he would have ever run. Wow. Um, I don't think he would have ever run. Uh, but for those, but for the incident with the George Washington Bridge, I think it it showed, you know, unfairly. But nonetheless, you, you deal with what you deal with publicly in this job. The polls only matter, Stephen, um, on election days. And on election days, uh, I was two and zero in New Jersey, so I'll take it. Before I let yeah. you get on out of here, the governor of Florida is making a lot of noise. Um, he's getting in fights with everybody. Uh, His policies, his political position seems to be mimicking and mirroring that of Donald Trump. The safest question that I could ask about him would be, 
Who's more dangerous to the well-being of the United States in your estimation as a Republican talking about Republican, I'm not talking about somebody from the left, because we know what folks on the left are going to think about Republicans and vice versa. But when you think about the well-being of the country moving forward, whether it's a potential Trump presidency or a potential Ron DeSantis presidency, because both of them are the two leading vote getters right now um, or leading in the polls, I'm sorry. Who do you worry about most? There are things that Governor DeSantis has done and stands for that I disagree with. And I'll make that clear as the campaign goes on. Um, if you're asking me who would be a worse draw for the country, there's no doubt in my mind it would be Donald Trump. Did you just say that you will elaborate on your differences with Ron DeSantis at a later date as the can- on the campaign trail? Is that what you just said? Absolutely. I've done a little bit of it already. We've had serious disagreements about Ukraine. Um, and I've said um, that you can't call it a a, a you know, territorial dispute um, and another country rolls guns and tanks into a free country, kills their citizens and takes their land by force. That's not a territorial dispute. That is an act of war by an authoritarian dictator. And we need to make sure it gets stopped because if it doesn't stop there, it will continue into other parts of Europe. We've seen this before in our history uh, with an authoritarian dictator in Germany who did what he did which led to World War II, um, we want to make sure that we stop this conflict in Ukraine. Uh, Governor DeSantis says that, you know, he doesn't want to get in a proxy war with China. Well, my message to him is a little, little too late. We're already in a proxy war with China. China's supporting this fight uh, uh, and supporting the Russians and giving them money and giving them weapons. And uh, we need to make sure that the world knows that America's a friend who will stand by freedom-loving uh, countries who are the subject of aggression like what Russia has done to Ukraine. Last question, the very last question to you, Governor Christie, um, with with the debates uh, just a few weeks away, um, with you obviously being in pursuit of the presidency, thinking about all that you've accomplished, all that you've endured in your career, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. What is Amer- What does America need to know? And what does America need to be about at this day and time to get us through the times that we're living in? Because I've spoken to pastors crying a lot. I'm a member of Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn, New York, Pastor A.R. Bernard. I said, I've never seen it this crazy in my life. I was just thinking I'm 55. Okay, there's people that's older that's seen it worse. He said, neither have I. Neither have I. The times that we're living in right now seems to be crazier than they've ever been before, um, just devoid of the ability to compromise, to work together, et cetera, et cetera. What is it that the country needs to know and where do we need to go? What do we need to do to get to a better place than we're in right now? Stephen, I think we need to go back to two things. First is to know that the America is at its greatest when we're doing big things. When we're striving for big things, whether it was back in the 1770s when we're striving for our own independence against a British army that was as large as the entire population of the city of Philadelphia when it landed in Boston at that time, whether it was Abraham Lincoln fighting to keep the country together and not divided and going to a civil war to keep the country together, whether it was FDR who decided that Hitler was a menace and he was not going to allow Hitler to dominate all of Europe and we went to war and did that. Or or whether it was in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan said, we're not going to put up with the evil empire of the Soviet Union. We're going to fight them, not accept them. Each one of those things involves sacrifice by the American people 
But if you look at what happened to our country at the back end of each one of those big sacrifices, big growth, big riches, big freedom, and big power around the world for the United States. We need to get back to that. And secondly, we've got to remember that despite all the craziness that you talked about, and I agree with you, this is still the greatest country in the world to live, work, and raise a family in. And that people all over the world would trade for an American passport in a second. And so we have to appreciate that and know that that is something worth fighting for. And it's something I'm willing to fight for, and that's why I'm running for president. Governor Chris Christie, appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for giving me all the time that you gave me today. I really, really appreciate it. Happy to talk to you officially on the record because, you know, we always talking off the record. So, so <laughs> Beautiful. And by the way, I cannot believe I got through, you know, a 45-minute conversation with you without one question about the Dallas Cowboys. You know I'm not asking you a question about that. Listen, I'm trying to I'm trying to win you votes. I'm trying to win you <laughs> votes, okay? I mean, we don't want to contaminate you. We don't want to sit up there and have you associated with a team that's not going to win. You, you're trying to win, ain't you? The Dallas Cowboys ain't going to help you. Well, they are America's team, Stephen. Yeah, and why is that? Are you cool with that? They haven't won a Super Bowl since 1995. How are you cool with that, man? That's been over 30. I mean, my, my goodness, man. It's, how many years has it been? 28 years? Yeah, it's been 28 years, but the star is on the helmet. Oh, my God. And it's a hole in the roof. So God can watch his favorite team on Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. Okay. Good luck. Congratulations <laughs> on this season. The Dallas Cowboys will win 11 games. They'll get into the playoffs as a wild card because they damn sure ain't winning the NFC East. Okay. That's not going to happen. It'll, the Eagles will do that. They'll get to the playoffs and then they'll, they'll lose again. Are you going to be all right with that, right? You're going to be okay. Stephen A., look, look at what my life, my sports life is like. Yeah. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, a New York Mets fan, and a New York Knicks fan. Yeah, no. I know. I mean, I, my, my condolences to you, especially with the Mets, especially with the Mets. I mean, the Knicks, I'm with you. That We're in that together. But the Mets, I mean, Yankees all day, every day. By the way, before I let you get on out of here, I got to give you credit for something. Gambling has really, really sifted its way into the world of sports. A former governor that I know was trying to tell all the leagues, excuse me, gambling will will come to the states and it'll be here to stay. And sure enough, that's happened. That man was you. I got to give you credit for that. that. That name of that case in the United States Supreme Court is Christie versus the NCAA. Wow. And I'm the one who fought this case from the ground all the way to the United States Supreme Court and created the right for every state and its people to make their own judgment whether they want to have sports gambling or they don't. And what I told the leagues at the time was, this is going to increase the value of your leagues and increase the value of every one of your franchises. They fought me. I had to spend $8 million in legal fees, Stephen A., to fight it. And guess what? Look at all of them. Mm. Every team has a gambling partner. Every stadium has a gambling partner. You see it all over the place. And it has no doubt increased people's interest in sports and increased the value of those franchises. So I, I can't wait to get my thank you note. How much? Roger Kell, right. Gary Bettman, and Rob Manfred, and Adam Silver, uh, and uh, 
Now, Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA. That's right. Absolutely. The four major sports and obviously the NCAA. How much money are we talking about away, Governor? In terms of when you talk about a local team, for example, being involved, having an association with gambling and what have you, how much revenue does that generate per state? If I were to ask you that, I'm talking about with the professional sports team or whatever. How much money do you think that equates to? Just approximately. Each state is a little bit different, but there are no states making less than tens of millions of dollars. Mm. And some states are making even more because their tax rates are higher and they're bigger. But nobody's making less than tens of millions of dollars just at the state level. Mm. Forget about the jobs that it creates. Forget about the opportunities that it creates from an advertising and marketing perspective. All of those things are adding to America's economy. And I got fought every step of the way, but I knew it was the right thing because people should be able to make this choice themselves. Mm. And that's what America's all about. Freedom of choice, babe. And they should make that choice. And, and when it comes to gambling now, it's in now legal in 30 of our 50 states. Wow. And so it's, um, and it used to be legal, you know, in one in Nevada. Wow. So, you know, that's why I say I'm a governor of consequence. We changed the country in some respects, and gambling's one of them. I'll be damned if I'm a hypocrite. You see who's sponsoring me, right? FanDuel Sportsbook. That's right. <laughs> we, we, we might not have the Stephen A. Smith podcast. That's right. What, that's right. Think about what a lesser country we would be. <laughs> Governor Christie, I appreciate the time, buddy. Thanks a lot, man. Good luck on the campaign trail. And I can't wait to see you on that debate stage next month. That's what it's all about. You're not the only political candidate I'm going to interview. I'm going to interview everybody that I can, but I thank you so much for being the very first. I appreciate it. I wish you all the luck and we'll see each other soon. Thank you, Stephen A. Great podcast and I'll be, I'll continue to listen. Thanks a lot, buddy. Take care. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? I love that interview. I absolutely love it. Um, because I love it when you have political candidates who speak their mind. Uh, but do so recognizing that the importance of decorum, decorum and statesmanship are a part of it. I make no apologies for not being a fan of Donald Trump. I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. It has nothing to do with his policies. I don't have to go there. Um, lawful or lawless issues that he's been challenged by in regards to uh, district attorneys and state courts, that remains to be seen, along with the federal government, uh, because of uh, him having those files in Mar-a-Lago. That's not the issue for me. I leave the law to handle that. My issue is that it's important that you exude statesmanship and show a level of decorum because when you don't do that, nothing but chaos ensues. And when you have a presidential candidate, they shouldn't be somebody who doesn't care about the country because they're so committed to getting their way that if they don't, all hell must break loose. We saw what happened at the storming of the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. We've seen what's been happening throughout the streets of America. We see ourselves as a nation more divisive than we've ever been. I've had people born prior to the civil rights era that says it was better then than it is now. That's how bad it is. And so what you need is not somebody that knows how to articulate their positions, not only somebody who knows how to lead, not only somebody who knows how to work across the aisle to, to reach compromise and to get things done but a level of sanity and civility to enter the office. 
And the reality is that one could easily argue that as we look as, at least as, at a couple of Chris Christie's competitors for the Republican nomination, there's a huge question mark where that's concerned. My hope is that Chris Christie is on a debate stage and he gets an opportunity to go up against them and in a civil fashion, all candidates go up against one another to galvanize a large proportion of the American people to see their way of doing things. Let's have heated debate, passionate debate based on the issues and not nonsense because we don't need that in the presidency. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm after. And I think that Chris Christie gave you an indication that he's somebody that can be that person. Whether that's going to happen remains to be seen. But at the very least, if he's not successful, hopefully he has the kind of impact that will sort of assuage the concerns of the American people so we can lean ourselves towards civility and robust debate as opposed to criminal activity or vile and vicious rhetoric that leads to more division as opposed to galvanization. That's just me. I hope y'all can see where I'm coming from. Thanks again to Chris Christie, the former governor for the state of New Jersey, two-term governor from 2010 to 2018. Completely honored to have him on this show. Welcome any candidates from either side of the aisle to come on here to speak their piece because we don't just talk sports here. We talk everything. Sports, pop culture, entertainment, current affairs and news, and of course, politics. I'm not running from any damn thing. And I hope y'all don't run away from watching the show. Your support has been greatly, greatly appreciated. And I sincerely hope you continue to provide it. Remember, subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Make sure to click the bell to get notified of all our new content. Okay? Keep coming. And I'll keep bringing it. Until next time, particularly tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you'll see me live. Until then, peace and love, everybody. Later. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.